you know, you want to explain the problem away. And if you're explaining too early in a conversation, you are losing. And the reason you are losing is because when you start to explain to someone else what's going on, what are you telling them? You're telling, by virtue of the fact that you're explaining, you're telling them you don't know. And if you knew, you wouldn't be behaving like this. So let me educate you. And the other side feels it. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you, and we are super excited to be bringing on another member of the Black Swan Group. Let's do the applause right there. Oh, yeah. Too bad we moved moved the uh, board farther away, and now Brian has to get out of his seat. There it is. That was good. (laughs) Well done, Brian. Dang it. There it is. I know all of you love our applause sound effects, so very grateful to have that on. But we are very grateful to have Derek Gaunt joining us today. He is from the Black Swan Group, and we're going to be talking to him about his book, Ego, Authority, and Failure. But before we do that, we're going to jump into our intro here and look to Brian for our quote. Tactical empathy first. Your goals and objectives come last. Derek Gaunt. Mm. Ego, authority, failure. It just goes against the grains, doesn't it, right? Your stuff comes last. That That is the uh, the opposite of the natural human condition. Show is. We, we try with all of our might to put our need and want first in the whatever we're doing is a negotiation to some extent. All right. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Yeah. Now let me go ahead and get that. And then you can ask me what you want or need. And we'll see what we can work out. Bingo. Versus we all know it at heart, being the giving person and doing for others and giving to others will pay the most dividends in the end. But when probably ego takes over, uh, there's a failure there. Ooh, got two of them. Oh, well done. Well done. Yeah, It's almost like you're an authority on the subject, bro. Oh, God. Done and done. Um but we, in the moment, we just immediately start going for what we need or want naturally. We got to be on guard against that, right? To go seek to understand before you seek to be understood. To understand what this other person wants and, and give it to them. If it's in your power and it doesn't cost you, you know, more than what you're trying to get out of the negotiation, let's just do it. Let's give it to them. So I think some of that is obviously straight up selfishness, right? You know, me first. But in your case, yes. Obviously. Not mine. But but do you think there's also a fear of of uh faith? You know, in that if I extend my hand out to you, you may not extend your hand out to me. Yeah. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna look like an idiot or, or I'm, I'm gonna, gonna get bit right. or whatever. Right. I mean, so that that's a reality too that certainly plays into it. 
Yeah, there's always the risk that you run with doing for others that you're either taken advantage of or it's not reciprocated. But how often does that risk really pay off? I mean, well, far more times than you get bit, obviously. Oh, my gosh. But you go on these ridiculous social media sites and you're plagued with these stupid memes that say, uh, I used to do, you know, for everybody else. And nobody did, did for me. And, you know, 100, 100, 100. Which, <laughs> did I ever tell you each time I see one of those little red 100 symbols or what are you, emojis on somebody's post, I start deducting that many IQ points from them. Ooh. My head. Yeah. Sorry. All right. 10 for every one of those 100s. I'm surprised you can even do that math, Brian. Well done. I just assume they're all 100 and I duck 10 <laughs> three times. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's something that we all struggle with. We all struggle with whether it's the, the fear of what's going to happen or the, the lack of humility to address somebody else's needs first. That's certainly uh, something that we all are challenged with and look no farther than the NFL where you have a massive amount of ego authority and failure all happening at the same time. And unfortunately in today's world, that's happening both on the field and off the field, right? So you see these players who just have incredible egos completely bumping heads against the authority and often getting, you know, some type of disciplinary action. I mean, I think of, uh, a number of players that aren't on, aren't even on NFL teams anymore because they just could not control the ego piece. And they, they just, whether it's uh they w- literally walked out of the stadium or they just got released from the team, it often ends up in failure. And that's, that's a, a scary thing and, and certainly unfortunate, but it's even perhaps more scary and unfortunate when the ego is the authority figure itself. Like take, for example, an NFL coach that thinks that they their way is the highway and that there is no other way. And, of course, they are the authority. That does have the tendency or at least certainly the possibility of creating some significant failure. It's their way or the highway. Not yes. their way is the highway. That's fine. I'm sure nobody's listening. <laughs> this would be an example of ego, authority, and failure, right? Well done. Thank you. I'm very familiar with Derek. It's one of these weird things where I've watched him train uh, groups of people on YouTube. You can actually see him training groups um, in person, and it's really cool. Like, I've listened to his audio book, Ego Authority Failure. It's it's one of those books that resonates with me every time I'm particularly a disciplinary conversation, but every time I'm training a group, I'm always trying to remember – being the team leader here does not put me above the team. It just puts me with the team and keep keep my ego out of this. Keep the ego out. Was it Weldon Long who said in one of one of the Waste No Day episodes, your ego is not your amigo? Mm, so he good. said his son tells him, Dad, your ego is not your amigo. And that was a great quote. And it's the only way for me to remember what I'm trying to avoid, which is like getting my my ego in the way what I want in the way like let's focus on the team and let the team take care of the rest but yeah ego not amigo is a great way to remember that without it getting too complicated well we're going to uh, try to keep this uncomplicated as well and we're going to invite Derek Gaunt from the Black Swan Group to be in your passenger seat (laughs) 
Our guest today is Derek Gaunt. He is a lecturer, author of Ego Authority Failure, and a trainer with 29 years of law enforcement experience, 20 of which was as a team member, leader, and then commander of hostage negotiation teams in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. He is a hostage negotiation and incident command subject matter expert who frequently speaks at hostage negotiations and SWAT conferences across the country. Derek's passion for interpersonal communications began when he was selected as a detective in the criminal investigations section of a municipal police agency. He spent the majority of his law enforcement career in the criminal investigations sections as a detective supervisor and eventually commander of major crimes. I feel like we need the uh, law and order guy to come in now, Brian. Doo-doo. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> in 1997, he took his passion for interpersonal communications to the next level, becoming a hostage negotiator. Once he became a supervisor, his passion transitioned from doing to teaching the concepts to others. And as a member of the Black Swan Group now, he is a negotiation trainer and personal coach. Derek has trained throughout the U.S. and around the world, instructing businesses, organizations, and many more on how to apply hostage negotiation practices and principles to their world. Derek presents seminars and in-house training programs in a variety of environments, and his presentations are engaging and filled with useful techniques for understanding human behavior and navigating difficult conversations. With that, we are very excited to welcome Derek Gaunt to the show. Welcome, Derek. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. We're really looking forward to jumping into your book here. Uh, it's always good to have somebody on from the Black Swan Group, and we've appreciated having uh, an earlier episode with uh, one of your counterparts there, um, Brandon Voss. And so we're looking forward to jumping into what you have to say, and specifically around this book, Ego Authority Failure. Yeah, and what you yeah. guys are doing there uh, with like translating hostage negotiation into uh, soft skills for like in-home selling and and well, like Chris Voss would say, everything in life being a, a negotiation. It it was it's one of our most popular episodes among our technicians, and it was a uh, it was a big hit because you guys have really done an awesome job of weaving those two worlds together. I, I appreciate that, and and as you peel back the layers of the onion on this thing, you'll find that uh, the beauty of the skills are in their simplicity. You know, these, these skills were designed by cops for cops, which means they got to be simple. They got to be uh, easily recalled and and readily actionable um, because that's the world that, that we live in in law enforcement. We need we need practicality and these skills are as practical as they get. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. And I'm not trying to equate what we do to what law enforcement does at all. But that one of the main functions of that is the dynamic of the situation, right? You're never sure what's coming at yeah. you. That is something exactly. that we can relate to in the home services industry because we're dealing with a client. We're often telling them something that they were not expecting to hear. You know, hey, remember yeah. that furnace downstairs? Well, it's not doing as good as you thought it was doing. Hey, remember uh, that leak that you saw just drip coming through the ceiling? Turns out that's like an entire pipe. Um, so they're, we're often presenting information that they're not comfortable hearing or certainly not prepared to hear. And so that makes the situation sure. very dynamic. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you, you guys are doing yourself a disservice if you're not getting out in front of that bad news with tactical empathy, that bad news will go down a lot easier 
if it's uh, if it's accompanied with with tactical empathy, people tactical empathy, people will they may not be happy to hear what you have to say, but they're more accepting of it when you first relate to them with your words and your actions that you understand what the impact of what you're about to say is going to have on them. And that's critical in any situation where you, you have to make an ask of somebody, you have to share news that they're probably not going to want to hear, or you, you otherwise, uh, or you need to, to decline. You need to um, tell them no for whatever reason. All of that goes down easier if it's preceded by tactical empathy. That's so true. And that's one of the things that, I mean, frankly, it's, it's difficult to learn that, right? You know, I mean, it's not impossible, but some people are just more gifted at, you know, being socially aware or emotionally intelligent is another phrase than others. And so that's something that we really want to hone in on in many of our podcasts is learning how to communicate better, learning how to read the room better, learning how to understand what you're about to say and the impact that it's going to have. So our, our, uh, our team here, where, where Nate and I work, we have four core values, and the second one is empathy. And we have our reasons for that one being, you know, the second most important thing you need to be on our team here. Would you mind, and, and Brandon Voss touched on what tap, tactical empathy was. We've actually had a lot of people reach out and ask to go into that more, to which obviously we directed to the Black Swan Group. But would you mind going into that a little bit more, what tactical empathy means to you guys and how to apply it? Uh, in a nutshell, tactical empathy is your recognition of the perspective of your counterpart, whoever that may be. And the more important aspect of it is verbalizing that recognition. All of us have this innate ability to understand what the lay of the land looks like from somebody else's perspective. That's not where we are challenged. Where we are challenged is articulating that understanding. Because at the end of the day, if you can't articulate that you understand my worldview, from my perspective, you don't understand my worldview. You don't understand my worldview. You don't understand me. You don't understand me. No meaningful dialogue is going to take place because in that moment, you are a psychological threat to me. And when I get threatened, just like every other human being on the planet, I get defensive. I get defensive. My amygdala fires up. And what's supposed to be going on in my prefrontal cortex is now being impeded by my amygdala activation. And so it's being able to recognize what they're going through, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what their environment is like, and then telling them so. All of us have a drive to be understood by someone else. We want people to understand our circumstances. We want them to understand our frame of reference. We want, to, we want them to understand what we're up against. The only way for me to understand that, Brian and Nate, is for you to tell that to me. Okay, then so you satisfy, and then you start dumping uh, oxytocin and dopamine into my brain. I start to feel better, and I loosen up. Yeah, and then you get, get that buying itch. I got it. I think I'm following <laughs> you. <laughs> so in our world, what that could look like, and let's say we made a mistake, right? We installed a new electrical panel for you two days ago, 
or let's say this weekend, we put in a new electrical panel for you here on Thursday. On Easter Sunday during your Easter family dinner, you lose all your power, and now we can't get out till Monday, right? So we, we're knocking at the door. Hey, we're here. Hey, thanks for letting me come back, Derek. Appreciate uh, seeing you again. It's good to see you again. Now, what we would want to do or I would want to do as a service tech in my mind is probably ignore the fact that uh, one of my teammates just put this in and you missed half yep. of your Easter dinner yesterday. Yep. But what you're saying is, and I'll let you say what you're saying. What I'm saying is because you close your eyes to that elephant in the room doesn't make that elephant in the room go away. So you knock on the door and you start with those pleasantries and you fail to address what you just put me through over the weekend. I'm not listening to anything that's coming out of your mouth. I'm tuning you out and I'm focused on my own internal monologue, which is basically speaking to me, this insensitive jerk. I feel like he has a, no a Chris Tucker soundbite in right about now. Yeah. Yes. Do you <laughs> understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And <laughs> is. Answer is, oh, I don't because I'm preoccupied because you haven't satisfied the need that I need satisfied. And that is that you understand what you put me through, what you put my family through the gravity of the circumstances. This is not, this is not an everyday weekend. This is a special holiday weekend for majority of the planet. And it's a time for fellowship. It's a time for connection. And you caused the problem there. You impeded my connection. You impeded my fellowship with my family. And you ruined my holiday. If you don't fall on your sword immediately after exchanging pleasantries with me, you're going to be in trouble. Well, speaking of being in trouble, we kind of uh, skipped right over the introduction of yourself, and we'd like to pause here to learn a little bit more about your world. Derek, tell us how you got started in this whole business and what exactly it was that found your way to the Black Swan Group. Um, all right, so going back in the dark ages, uh, I started my law enforcement career in 88. I became a hostage negotiator in 97. The team leader in 2001 and team commander in 2004. And that's a position I held up until the time that I actually left law enforcement in 2017. And in the time that I was a part of my agency's negotiations team, uh, right around 2000, 2001, Chris Voss, author of Never Split the Difference, founder and CEO of the, the Black Swan Group. He moved from New York to the D.C. area. He was taking up a position at the uh, crisis negotiation unit with the FBI at Quantico, which was about 35 miles south of where I worked. He was heavily involved in the discipline. He heard that I I was heavily involved in the discipline. And through a mutual friend, we were introduced. And the rest, as they say, it's history. Um, I was uh, brought on contractually with the Black Swan Group in 2010. Um, and I came on full-time with them when I retired in 2017. So that's, that's a, a snapshot of how I got to uh, the Black Swan Group. Once he once he left the bureau in 2007, um, he formed a company, and uh, him and it, it was just him and his son Brandon at the time. And then he brought me in for some quick hits on uh, gigs that he couldn't attend, and the and the rest uh, is all in the rear view now. It provided me the opportunity to travel around the globe, teaching businesses, teaching individuals 
how to apply hostage negotiation practices and principles to their professional and personal lives. Is this where we can spend the rest of the episode with you telling us hostage negotiation stories from DC? <laughs> that has to be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Well, you 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 certainly start to see a common theme, and then you lose interest after a while because uh, once you step back and take a look at all of these, there, there's common denominators, and 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 all of them start to to look the same. But um, in the DC area. I don't know how much you guys are familiar with that area, but you cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a cop from another agency. And so we've got federal, state, and local law enforcement representation. Um, and most of those are have built or are building out their negotiations component. So um, we were not, uh, we were not, short of work, if you know what I mean. Uh, there was plenty of work uh, regionally that a lot of us were getting involved in. Um, and so, yeah, the stories the stories are endless. And that's just Eric's commentary on the political <laughs> world. We'd love to hear some actual real-world <laughs> stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Derek, uh, a Gallup study here found that 50% of resigning employees did so to, quote, get away from their manager. Let's start there and jump into your book, Ego Authority Failure. Okay. So what is it, what so, is it that drives people away? It's, it's mean temper, it's condescension, and it's just a, a poor attitude. And there is a certain, there is a certain void, if you will, in leadership training from my perspective there was a void in that we've talked about emotional intelligence forever and how important it is in the business world and the instruction that was out there the writings that were out there blogs articles um books that were being written um they they all espoused that you shouldn't be a jerk, that you should uh, create a, a um, collaborative environment. Uh, you should be inclusive. You should understand what's going on from the perspective of your employees, but no one ever talked about how to do it. All of those are touted as being necessary for quality leadership, but at the end of the day, nobody was being given instructions on how to do it. And, and that was the impetus for me writing Ego Authority Failure. Um, we primarily were focusing on on uh, the corporate world as far as sales uh, and, and contract negotiations were concerned, but it didn't take a rocket scientist to say, you know what, it, because we are dealing with the human nature response, um, these skills would improve the relationship between superior and subordinate within any organization. And so that's what I went after. I, I went after providing them some cautionary tales of people that did it wrong, some good stories about people that did it right, and then how to do it right yourself. And that is taking a step back, understanding that the conversation should not be all about you or the organization's goal and objective, but it should be about the other person. 
Now, will you have to make a decision as a leader? Yes. Will you have to draw lines in the sand? Yes. You have to set expectations? Yes. Boundaries? Yes. But it should not be at the expense of you demonstrating that you understand the impact of whatever you're telling your subordinates is going to be on them. And so that's, that was, that was the driver for ego authority failure. I appreciate that. I'm curious with the title there, ego authority failure, is that a progressive thing? Like, Hey, first the seed of ego is planted, then the water of authority comes on and then the, the fruit of failure occurs, or is that just, you know, three words? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, the first two words lead to the third. So yeah, you can look at it as a, as a pattern you can look at it as a, as a sequence. Um, if you will, um, a lot of us, have ego. All of us have ego to some extent. In fact, that ego is what gets you promoted. Um, but when it becomes mixed with authority, the propensity for that to run amok is quite substantive. It's a, it, it's very substantial. I should say I, I'm a pair. I'm going to paraphrase, uh, president Lincoln. Um, and he had a saying, back in his time that if you want to know the true character of a man, give him power. Mm, yeah. And that will reveal who he actually is. And it doesn't have to be the ultimate power as like a president of a, you know, a country. Um, I, I'm, I'm talking about you, the captain of a, of a football team. Um, you'll see the same types of, toxic behavior if you're not careful. I'm not I'm not going to tell you that evil and authority are 100% evil because they're not. There's 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 going to be times necessary where you're going to have to be a little egotistical, be a little authoritative. The problem with that is that it's not all of the time. It's not even most of the time. Um, one of the guys that I quoted in the book uh, Colonel George Reed, he said he said, your ego and authority needs to be on display at times. For example, when the, when the enemy is inside the wire, right? The wire is the, the, that protective perimeter that, that does the security, that provides some security for a fighting force. When the, when the enemy gets inside that wire, you got a problem. And so when the enemy is inside the wire and you're passing out the last rounds of ammunition, my ego and authority are going to be on, on display because time is of the essence and this is an exigent circumstance. And again, the, the biggest problem is most leaders perform like they're in exigent circumstances all the time. And so they bark orders. They don't take into account the impact. And long term, you're going to build resentment within your teams. They're going to do what you ask them to do, but they have a tolerance level. They're going to do what you ask them to do, but if they do so reluctantly or with resentment down the road, they're going to make you pay for that in some way, shape or form. Revenge is a powerful motivator and given the opportunity to make you feel the same kind of pain that they felt in the moment, they're going to take it. It may not be, Overly aggressive. In fact, it often shows up as passive aggressive behavior, but it nonetheless is going to affect you later on. I don't want a group of people reporting to me and doing stuff because I tell them to do stuff. I want them to do it because they want to do it. 
I'm trying to create a team around me of willing participants, the kinds of men and women where I could call them up and say, hey, Brian, tomorrow I'm assaulting the gates of hell. And without a beat, you say, what time, time do you need? Me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's what I want. I don't. I don't want a person who I've uh, browbeaten over our the course of our relationship, and then call them up and say, "Hey, tomorrow I'm assaulting the gates of hell," and him get there late, him get there unprepared, him get there because he's uh, doing so begrudgingly because he's not going to be as effective, and that's going to impact all of us. Right. I mean, that, that's kind of uh, the standpoint of the power of free will is always more incredible than the power of compelled will, right? So exactly. me choosing to do something will always be more effective and I'll be able to go farther because I'm choosing to do it as opposed to somebody forcing me to do it. Right. Right. And, and here's the other thing is that the, the leaders that lead with tactical empathy, the, one of the biggest characteristics uh, a more impo- most important characteristic of tactical empathy is it encourages reciprocity. You're, you're subconsciously obligating them to pay it back when you first show it. And so by extending that olive branch first, you're more likely to get that back when the time comes when you have to make your ask, when you have to set your expectations or set your boundaries, or you have to give them the direction to go in that they otherwise weren't excited about going in. And it, that works in, in two different ways. And I'm not sure this is a great example or not, but it certainly feels like one right now where we had someone who was somewhat disengaged for a while probably for a long while, been here a long, long time and, um, was, was just kind of out of it. Like started kind of taking a lot of sick days and even coming into meetings late. And this is, this is not our normal practice, but in this one case, I said, uh, to the rest of the management team, this is someone that I'm starting to feel like is the right person in the wrong seat. And, you may you may know very may know this very well being from law enforcement i feel like the, most technicians have a certain number of calls in them to run and once they've reached that number they're just not effective at it anymore it's time to switch roles and in this one person's case i knew him to be such a high level intelligent hard working loyal person i said why don't we try switching his role and giving him some, some real purpose. And, you know, we don't tend to promote, you know, poor behavior, but the time had been put in and the performance had been there over such a long stretch of time. And we were just having a conversation this afternoon about the fact that it worked. This, this, this person is never late, always early, staying super late to train people um, here on the weekends, you know, outside of when he needs to be just tackling projects that he wants to get done for the team in a, these are things we needed to have done. We're not even telling him to do them. He's just finding things that need to be done and taking care of it because he's fully engaged and appreciates the, I don't know, I guess the manner in which he was treated. Bam, there you go. There you go. Um, you recognize the problem. 
you put in a solution to solve the problem. I'm not sure the, the mechanics of it. I don't know how the sequencing of the conversation went, but he felt that you understood what he was going through. You, you came up with a solution. Obviously, the solution was amenable to him, and now he's obligated to you because you took the time to figure out that something was wrong, which is critical for a leader, especially when you're talking about um, dips in performance. There are many leaders that get wrapped around the axle when somebody who was performing well all of a sudden is not performing as well anymore and they get frustrated with them. They'll bring them in and ask cursory questions, cursory questions about what's going on. They don't get really a, a response. And then they start with progressive discipline if the performance doesn't change. And at the end of the day, the, the performance, the words, the statements, the questions that the person asks, their overall behavior, or is them screaming at you that there's something amiss here. And what many people will do is just ignore it. They'll just say, this is just bad behavior. We reward good behavior or we punish bad behavior. But at the end of the day, the bad behavior is him screaming out that something is wrong and I need you to help me figure it out. That's what he was asking for. So anybody who's who's showing you um, counterproductive behavior or statements or questions, instead of focusing in on the statement, the behavior, or the question, you should always ask yourself, where is this coming from? Why did he just say what he just said? Why did he just do what he just did? Staying curious shows interest. And interested persons become interesting. This goes back to the whole reciprocity thing. Because you're interested in determining what the driving force or the dynamic is, you become interesting to the point where they want to do the same for you. It's as simple or as complex as that. Now, Derek, uh, I like what you're saying there, and I'm just kind of contemplating this in the home. So obviously we're a home services podcast where we have professionals in the HVAC, plumbing, and electrical and beyond industries uh, who are often dealing with homeowners. And, I mean, there could be an entire TV show made up of homeowners behaving badly um, because, you know, they're, they're distressed or they're frustrated. It could be at us. It could be at the situation. It could be at the last three contractors they've had out a number of reasons. And so what you're saying is very tangible to the experience of the technicians in the field. And I'm kind of curious as in your experience as a hostage negotiator, you know, obviously all the people who were taking others hostage were behaving very badly. How did you begin to uncover like the root of that feeling? And then how do you translate that back into like a customer experience where the customer is the one behaving badly and how do you begin to uncover what their feelings are, are coming from? You, you've, you've got to, you've got to make a situationally insightful, intelligent guess. Situationally insightful, intelligent guess. You've got to ask yourself, if I were this homeowner, what would I be thinking about me? If I was this homeowner, what would I be thinking about these circumstances? 
if I was this homework homeowner, what would I be thinking about my company and my industry? And so to your, to the first part of that question, that's where we started. How did we get here today? I understand you hate the police. You don't want us coming in. If anybody comes in, people are going to get hurt. Got it. You have my assurances. Nobody's going to come in. How did we get to this situation today? You're inside there. There's 50 cops out here pointing guns at the building. What caused us to all wind up in this spot today? Because he's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for someone to, as I mentioned earlier in the call, demonstrate a little bit of tactical empathy. Somebody who's going to take a situationally insightful, intelligent guess as to what is going on. And you don't even, here's the beauty of it. You don't even have to get it right. All you have to do is make the attempt. Accuracy is not as important as the attempt. And the reason that that's the case is even if you get it wrong, the desire to correct is so powerful that they're going to tell you you've got it wrong. It's not A, it's B. So can you push that out in an actual example of like a, a hostage situation where where you presented a potential, hey, maybe this is how you're feeling, and the, the, the perp you know, came back and said, no, that's not it at all. Yeah, for example, like I say, I, I know I I know that based on the totality of the circumstances, you're probably feeling a little a little afraid and a little frustrated. And if he snaps back at me, MF or I'm not frustrated and I'm not afraid. I'm just angry at you guys because this is not how I wanted it to end up. All right, so he just corrected me and told me that he's not afraid, he's not frustrated. I'm not necessarily going to buy the not afraid part, but frustration is not in his in his brain at that point. He wanted to convey to me that it's not frustration, it's actually anger. Well, now I've gone from wondering whether it's frustration to knowing that it's not, it's actually anger. But the fact that I made the attempt to articulate for him what he was going through is enough. Now, it doesn't mean that I do it one time and then all of a sudden he's like, all right, tell me what you want me to do. I'm ready to come out. You know, it, it's going to take some time. It, one, the one, the, one of the largest mistakes that people make when they're introduced to the Black Swan Group uh, methodology is they think it's a magic bullet. They think they're going to go in and throw one or two skills in and then all of a sudden they get, you know, the contract signed or they get the business or, or whatever the case may be. And reality is we're looking for the incremental effect of the skill, not a, not a, not a knockout punch. So if you think of, um, think of it in terms of prize fighting, you know, Mike Tyson, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, Floyd Mayweather, one of the greatest, uh, what was he, a middleweight, lightweight or, or welter. Um, anyway, one of the greatest fighters of all time, Mike Tyson was a great fighter because he knocked you out. He was always looking for that home run shot. Floyd Mayweather rarely knocked anybody out. It was the accumulation of all of his points throughout the course of the fight that made him the victor. That's how we are with using the um, the Black Swan skills. And so it's going to be 
skill after skill after skill, but staying conversational. Biggest mistake number two is people don't stay conversational. They forget who they are when they start using the black swan skills. And if you've heard any of my podcasts in the past, you know that I equate the conversation to a soup or a stew and the black swan skills. That's the seasoning for the soup or the stew. I imagine that the easiest thing in the world is to become too emotionally involved, right? And and for you as the hostage negotiator, for you as the technician, you can't allow yourself to do that. So how did you maintain a, a neutral, you know, flat affect, uh, affect, uh, business first mindset without getting drawn into, uh, whether it's the, the argument or the situation or, or whatever it is, how did you stay out of that? Staying curious, as I mentioned before, the, 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 the two biggest things for you in, in any difficult conversation, and, and in, in essence, that's all, that's all a hostage, that's all a negotiation is hostage or otherwise hostage or business is a difficult conversation and in any difficult conversation there there's going to be moments when the conversation is going to make you uncomfortable and make you defensive and that is largely because you know chris talks about you're negotiating every day of your life and that's because the words i want or i need are in your head every day of your life and if your I want or I need involves somewhere else, someone else, then the propensity for it being a difficult conversation is is huge. And so staying curious will prevent you from getting triggered in the moment, will prevent you from getting emotional in the moment, will prevent you from getting um, dialed up. Your brain does not work in that fashion. Your brain can't be anxious and curious at the same time. It can't be angry and curious at the same time. It can't be afraid and curious at the same time. You have to be one or the other. And if you just keep that mindset before responding to anything that your counterpart gives you, if you keep your mindset as curiosity, 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 where is this coming from? And the second thing is, In every difficult conversation, at some point during the conversation, you are going to get attacked. The attack is usually going to come out of left field. You're not going to see it. It's going to hit you in the face like a brick. And in many instances, it's not going to make any sense based on what's going on in the current environment. But the attack is occurring for a reason. And so go back to curiosity. I need to figure out what that reason is. So curiosity and acceptance. Be curious in the conversation. Suspend judgment. Assume you have something to learn. And then before you get into the conversation, that situation that you talked about earlier with the electrical panel and the Easter holiday plan being ruined. If I'm going to ring that doorbell on Monday morning, I have already girded myself because I know that this homeowner is going to hit me with both barrels as soon as I open the door. I've already made it. I've already resigned myself to that. And my job is just to hold on, hold on 45 seconds to a minute. Unless you're dealing with an out and out sociopath, it's going to be you hard for them to continue. <laughs> <laughs> That's like 40% of our clients, I think. 
Well, here, here's the thing is, um, you know, we've got a success rate of close to 93% in the hostage negotiation world, Whew. which is a pretty good, pretty good, pretty good average. But what does that also tell you? 7% of the time, so somebody bad. probably is going. Yeah, some of the, 7% of the time it doesn't go as well as the bad guy wants it to. Is that, um, now, does that 7% mean someone died or it was, you know, a door got kicked in and the perp got taken down? Or what is that 7%? That's, that 7% means we use other things in conjunction with um, hostage negotiation skills to um, resolve the event. Okay. Sometimes, unfortunately, it means that a mop um, that the bad guy <laughs> is no longer with us. Um, and you know, I've never been shy to, to say that um, whether the bad guy comes out vertical or horizontal is completely his choice, completely. Hmm. And so, with those seven percent, I don't lose a lot of sleep as long as. My team did what they were supposed to do. The people that we were sent there to protect go home, and we go home, then the operation was a success. So, Derek, kind of taking it back to you. Hey, hold on. Before we get too far, listen, plumbers, I don't want you telling our customers whether they uh, (laughs) get this job done horizontally or vertically. It's up to them, all right? That's just, this is for the hostage guys. This is not for our HVAC techs. Sorry, go ahead, Nate. Exactly. Well, Derek, I'm curious, like in, in those situations, I mean, kind of coming back to the book here, who is the authority? Is it you, the hostage negotiator, or is it the man inside with the gun? Who has the authority? Well, who is who the authority? Has, I mean, or who has it? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost a catch 22. It's almost, uh, we are, we're dependent on each other. I want him or her sometimes I, I want them to depend on me as the vehicle, which they can use to live to end this quote peacefully. Um, and so we're reliant upon one another. Do I have leverage? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the leverage that I have is called the SWAT team. And, and the SWAT team is ready, willing, and able to impact, negatively impact the bad guy's environment anytime it goes sideways. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, my team probably has more authority than what's going on on the inside. But we never position ourselves like that. We always defer. We always subordinate ourselves to the person on the inside. And for the people who aren't trained in what we do, it drives them absolutely crazy. You know, this guy is inside his house and he's threatening to kill his two-year-old by pouring a drain cleaner into the baby's mouth. And um, I've got a negotiator on the phone who's talking to him about uh, how wrongly the baby's mother has treated him for low these past three, four years. And the people who aren't trained in how we do what we do, it drives them absolutely insane that we're trying to establish that kind of rapport and trust-based influence with the other side, that we are subordinating ourselves to the other side, that we are acquiescing to them as within the parameters of the event 
as much as we do because it's 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 counterintuitive it's antithetical it's hard to describe and it's hard to understand and because of that they just they 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 don't get it um now the thought process has changed over the years because people have gotten more intelligent um some of the old dogs have have moved on and so you've got negotiators now who have a larger say in the steps we're going to take moving forward to resolve the event. Um, when I first came on, when I first came on, it was clear that we were, we were called to the scene of these events largely because somewhere in our written directives, it said we had to have a negotiators and negotiations team on scene. But I can tell you when I first came on, they had very little use for us. Right. And when I say I'm talking about incident command and, and SWAT operators, but that has changed over the years. Okay. So bring that into the home for me. All right. So who has the authority? Is it me as the technician or is it the homeowner? Well, the homeowner is the one that's holding your money, huh? So, so we need to add well, yes to that. Yeah, well, you're going to have to subordinate yourself to them without question. And when I say subordinate yourself to them, I'm not saying do things to your detriment. You know, first things out of their mouth are, this is your fault. You're going to give me a price reduction. Well, um, that's what they want, but that's not necessarily what lines up with reality. They called you out to change those um, electrical panels for a reason. They could have called anybody. They called you, which means on some level, they've got some appreciation for your reputation and the work that you do. And so if I'm in the home, I'm probably going to highlight that at some point during the conversation. You call it the, the, the proof of life. And the proof of life is getting them to speak your value proposition before you have, before you ever have to. Your value proposition coming out of your counterpart's mouth carries much more weight. And so if they, if they are able to, articulate your value proposition, they're telling you that you are the favorite. And if you're the favorite, there's no reason for you to be cutting your price. If you're not the favorite, then you're the fool. And if you're the fool, there's no reason for you to be cutting your price. Translation, you shouldn't be cutting your price. <laughs> now, you know. Got it. And, and you, you guys know what hill you want to die on. Right. As far as monetarily, you know, you know what's acceptable and, and what's not. If you can concede, concede something. But, um, you know, there are customers that I'm sure you've dealt with that will go overboard and they'll, they'll want, you know, the repair done and they want it, you know, free. Your fault. I'm not paying for the labor for that. And they'll want it free. And that's just not going to that's just not going to hold water. But your chances of encountering a person like that who won't move off of that position is drastically reduced if you first take the time to explain to them that you understand 
where, where they're coming from, what their perspective is. Okay, so let me let me give you a, an example here. <clears throat> so let's say that we're we're sticking with the panel situation here. So it's a holiday weekend. We do a panel install. Uh, let me let me change it up a little bit. It's a holiday weekend, and uh, their electricity goes out, and so they call around. And guess what? The only people that answer the phones are us. So we dispatch an electrician. He goes out on site, and uh, he makes some modifications, et cetera, et cetera. And then Monday morning rolls around. And buyer's remorse sets in and we're getting the phone call or the uh, another technician's going out or whatever. And the person is saying like, well, you weren't really my favorite. You were just the only person to answer the phone. And this is way too much. And like, I can't believe this and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'd rather use somebody else. So where do we find ourselves in those situations when the attacks are like, well, I wasn't going to use you, but I couldn't find anybody else. So I had to. And this is after you've already done after you've already done work for them, right? So you know, in a scenario like that, like let's take HVAC, right? So holiday weekend, uh, they're sweating in their house or they're freezing in their house, and we're the only ones that answer the phone. We're the only ones that come out. We're the only ones that service them. And then Monday morning rolls around, and they're upset about the price, or they called six other people and they give them some ballpark information over the phone, and now they're calling us again, saying like, "This is crazy," et cetera. All right, so how are you different from the other six people that they call? You're different because you answered the phone. You're different because you, you came out. You've already shown them, you've already demonstrated for them that they are a priority for you. So when your tech goes out and they're hit with that, their first, their first reaction should not be, oh, what a jerk. Your first reaction should be, where is this coming from? Stay curious. Dosecki's new yeah. uh, slogan is uh, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious, my friend. We see, we get wrapped around the axle because they say, well, you're the only ones that answer the phone and you came out, you weren't my favorite. And I think you guys cost too much money. What are they actually saying to that? Or, or with those words, I should say, what are they actually saying? The service level you're too, we didn't really want you. You're the only one to answer the phone and you and you cost too much money. What are they actually saying to that? Saying to you? I mean, they're frustrated that it happened in a time and situation that nobody else was able to serve them, I guess. Boom. That's what you lead with. It sounds like this situation has you completely frustrated. Not only were you frustrated by the fact that you couldn't get an answer until you got to us, you're frustrated by the fact that you sat in your house all weekend and you were sweating. And now it seems like you don't see the value in what we provide. And I would do it just like that and then shut your mouth and just wait on it. Let them start because that's what, that's part of what they're telling you. The, you guys were the only one that answered and you're too expensive, that's a smokescreen for something else. It's hiding something else. And so I would just let that sit until they come up with a response to that label. Regardless of the response, when they called you, they had a vision with what, of, they had a vision of what 
the relationship between the two of you is going to look like going forward. Get that vision out of their head into the air. When you called us out last week, or you called us out on Friday evening, and we sent a, a, a tech out, what was your expectation as to the follow-up? How does that line up with getting your power back on and getting your home cooled down? And what are the next steps that you've envisioned on preventing this from happening again? You see, I go, when, what, how, what? Taking them back into a point in time, because I guarantee you, when you first arrived at their home to get them hooked up again so that the AC would start blowing, you were the best thing since sliced bread. Right. And so I want to take them back to that time when they thought you were the best thing since sliced bread. So when you called us out, we came out here and we, we knocked it out of the park for you. We got you up and operating, but we told you there was going to be follow-up work to be done. What did that mean to you? Man, that's good. When, what, how, what? Yep. So when when you called us, when this happened, when the original infraction occurred, what did you think was going to what 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 did you think it was going to look like, and how did you think it was going to go? And then how would you bring in the last what again? What what are the next steps for to prevent this from happening again? Because again, they're in a, they're in a, they're still in they're still not fixed. They're still not whole yet. And you got to remember, the more time that they spend with you, the less time they're spending with someone else. That time, that clock is ticking, and they've got a family they got to provide for. They got to make sure that this doesn't happen in, uh, uh, again. And so, anytime you get into the room on the phone uh, with a current client, prospective client. They want you there and you need to maximize the time that you spend with them. And they understand, at least on the subconscious level, the more time they're spending with you, the less time they're, they're trying to find another option. And so you're, you are creating a reliant relationship unknowingly or unintentionally, I should say. So obviously this is where ego is your greatest enemy, right? Because the natural, the natural defense of a human is to start putting up reasons like, well, you know, Hey, you called us. Obviously you couldn't find anybody else. So blah, 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 blah. And like, we're the only guys that answer the phone, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, you start puffing up your chest and everything. That's only going to make the situation worse. Right. Yeah. And, and, or you, you come in with a bunch of explanations. You know, you want to explain the problem away. And if you're explaining too early in a conversation, you are losing. And the reason you are losing is because when you start to explain to someone else what's going on, what are you telling them? You're telling, by virtue of the fact that you're explaining, you're telling them you don't know. And if you knew, you wouldn't be behaving like this. So let me educate you. And the other side feels it and you're starting your explaining too early, you haven't done anything as far as tactical empathy is concerned, and you want this person to process the data and information that you're giving them, and they got no interest. People are incapable 
of critical thinking. They're incapable of deep thought if they still have something they have to get off their chest. And mm. say, from that, your say that again, because that makes me think people are incapable of critical thought when they still have something that's kind of sticking in their head. Yeah. Unexpressed emotions never die. They never go anywhere. And, you know, we hope, oh God, I hope they don't bring this up. Uh, or maybe if I don't just, if I just don't talk about, um, the difficulty that they went through over the weekend, um, they won't bring it up and then it won't be a factor in this communication. And the fact of the matter is they're dying for you to tell them that you understand what they've gone through. That's a, that, and that in large part is where a lot of where the attacks will come from. When you get when when a, a current customer or a potential customer lashes out at you during one of these difficult conversations, it's usually occurring for one of three reasons. The first reason is they're trying to convey something to you, and you are missing the signal. They're not very good at articulating themselves, so they they it manifests itself in in different ways. The second reason is they're under tremendous pressure on their side. Um, you're, you're, you're ordering parts from a manufacturer or a vendor and they tell you, um, all right, yeah, get this paperwork in before the end of the year. You're so diligent that you put together the paperwork and the order in October, well before the end of the year. And then the year turns uh, in February, you call a check-in on status. They say, hey, you know, we told you April, the parts were going to be in, they're not going to be in until June. And there's a 6% surcharge. So not only are they moving the goalpost on you, but they're, they're, they're going to charge you more. Now, when you hear that, you get into your feelings. You feel like you're being taken advantage of instead of asking yourself, where is this coming from? Why would this person tell me to complete the paperwork in October, promise me a delivery date in April, and then tell me not only am I not getting it in April, I got to pay more to get it. And they got no real explanation behind, you know, what is everybody's blaming it on today? It's supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Uh, you know, there's, there's something else going on there. And they're trying to, convey that to you. They're under tremendous pressure on their side of the table to bring in as much business as cheaply as possible so they can make up everything that they lost in 2020. And so the sooner you recognize that, the better the conversation is going to go. The third place that an attack will come from is they're trying to manipulate you. So, and they do it because it's, it's, it's born them fruit in the past. They know that if I if I try to manipulate Brian, I'm going to put him in an uncomfortable spot. When Brian gets uncomfortable, he's he's not unlike any other human being. He wants to get comfortable again as quickly as possible, and that usually leads to Brian acquiescing. That usually leads to Brian compromising, giving up things that he has no business giving up on, and or getting Nate as a result and giving him a noogie until he knocks it off. <laughs> I'm known for that. Um. But that 
curiosity aspect. You got to figure out which one of the three that it is because the attack in a difficult conversation is them signaling, signaling something to you and staying curious is the only way to smoke that stuff out. In every difficult conversation, there is going to be presenting dynamic or emotion. There's going to be a latent dynamic or emotion. We're pretty good at identifying the latent dynamic or emotion. We stink at um, the, the latent dynamic. So we're good at the presenting. We're terrible at the latent. Yeah, and it's and, and it's, and it's like easy to see why, right? <laughs> Especially when you're really, really untrained, and you're just you know, good old plumber got your tool bag, and you're in this person's living room, and you see them starting to get heated, and and you're untrained in this kind of thing, and it's easy to just want to you know dive headfirst behind the couch and avoid any tough conversation, but. And I've been there myself as a young technician, where you're just like, oh whatever it takes to not let this come up. But I think, and I think the hardest thing to understand, um, at least in an effective way where you can do something about it is that if you, if you bring this thing up that you know is there, right. Identifying it isn't a problem. Doing something about it is probably the big problem because defensively we we just want to turtle shell up and hide from it. But if you bring the thing up, and you know, prick it with a pin and let the air out of out of the tension out of the room. It's so beneficial, and it, it will actually go away. But as a as a young negotiator, technician, salesperson, what have you, your automatic go to is to avoid and hide from this thing. But it's almost like right. the way you're explaining it is like Maslow's Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like this person can't focus on their status in the group because they're starving to death. The only thing they're thinking about is getting something to eat. And that's something to eat in this case is this fact that we haven't addressed yet that you put this water heater in on Thursday and it flooded my house during Easter dinner on Sunday. And we're going to pretend that didn't happen. You just show me where it is and I'll fix it for you and enjoy your insurance claim or whatever. (laughs) Like, Right, and it, and it, and it never, it never works out. And so, taking those negatives and addressing them head on, addressing them early in the conversation, people's brains work up to thirty one percent better when they're in a positive state. Wow! So when I know I'm going into a negative conversation, my goal is to put my counterpart into a positive state as quickly as possible. Because when we get down to okay. Here's what we're going to do going forward to fix this. I need them to be of clear mind so that there's no um, there's no chance for miscommunication or misinterpretation of what was discussed and agreed upon. And the second thing is when you do that and you do it early in the conversation, when you start to point out and articulate for them things that they have not said and you're courageous enough, you're selfless enough to take a negative light and point it back at you, there's no clearer way to demonstrate for the person you're talking with that this conversation is not all about me. I'm not in a hurry to get this over with, and I'm so concerned about you, I'm not afraid of pointing this negative light back at myself. And you start to look like a mind reader because you are speaking things into the air that they're only thinking. And they're thinking, and, and, and subconsciously they're going, wait, what's going on here? 
this is like a Jedi mind trick. How does he know this? These are well, not, not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, basically. Where you're just, you're just, you're, you're telling the other side, I know this sucks for you. I know you're angry with us. I know this ruined your holiday weekend. You're probably wondering why you ever chose us as a service provider to begin with. Ooh, even taking it a level deeper. You may be even thinking to yourself, why didn't I go with another option? You're probably going to think we're just in this to gouge you. And this is just a money grab on our part. They're thinking all of those things. I guarantee you. You tell them that a widget costs 100 bucks in their mind, they're thinking it probably costs you 10 and you're marketing it up 90 bucks for me. And so I'm in your shoes. I'm pointing that out. You're taking permission and authority away from them from using those accusations in the course of the conversation with you. You're taking them off the table. And you're doing that while trying to remain curious the whole time. So how do you know when, how do you know when all the unexpressed emotions have been expressed and then do you stop being curious at that point and move into a different mode or what does that look like? No, you're always, your, your curiosity is always turned on. So you, you, one of the first things you need to do is get out of this habit of you said something, now it's time for me to say something. I said something, now it's time for you to say something. Instead of responding immediately, you should be asking yourself, why did she say that? Why did he ask that? Because people will ask you terrible questions. They will ask you question A, and they want the answer to question B, but for whatever reason, they don't want to ask question B. And so you, you are putting, your, putting yourself at a disadvantage when you immediately blurt out an answer to a question that your counterpart asks. So before you do that, instead of answering the question outright, you just hit them with what we call uh, an asking label. It sounds like you have a reason for asking. And often you will find that the reason that they ask have nothing to do with the actual question. The reason that they, people make terrible statements before you respond to a statement, you simply say, sounds like you have a reason for saying that. Could you give an example you, of like a hostage situation where uh, the, the perpetrator asked you question A and looking for answer B? How many of it, how many of you guys are actually out there? That's a question we've gotten in the past. What's the underlying meaning behind the question? Yeah, so how would you respond to that? Sounds like you got a reason for asking. Or I'll hit it with what I think it is. Situationally, typo until it gets. Sounds like you're worried about getting hurt once you do come out. Mm. That would be my follow-on to that. That will give me a better idea. Is he trying to gather tactical intelligence? Or is he worried about getting thumped on by 50 guys as soon as he opens the door? And that type of label will, will ferret that kind of information out. Okay, so you, you get you get some dialogue there. You know, the homeowner might be like, well, how much, this is, how much does this part actually cost you guys? Right? And we might say something like, well, it sounds like you might have a, a reason for asking that question. 
and then they're going to dialogue about, you know, well, I just think the price is too much or, you know, uh, I Google, I Googled this thing and I, I saw for myself that you can buy these on Amazon for X dollars. Where do we, where do we go from there? All right. So what I would do is say, so it sounds like you have a vision for, or how it sounds like you have a vision on how this whole process of ordering the part, installing the part, testing the part, and then ultimately leaving you with an invoice plays out. <laughs> and then I'm going to fall. I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to fall silent to hear, you know, what's your vision? Because he's trying to tell me I've done homework. All right. So I need to know how much homework have you done? Are you, are you, do you really have the homework done? Are you bluffing? Are you trying to, to, to bluff that you've done the homework? How much information do you really know about what it is that I do? That's one of the hard things about trace people, people with a specific skill set that everybody is aware of. Everybody thinks they can do the job better than you. Why they call you, I don't know, because they always want to fight with you over what you're going to do. You know, it's like I, I coached uh, high school basketball for a number of years. And I, I would tell the parents at the beginning of the season, look, I know all of you know more about the sport of basketball than I do because I hear your comments in the stand. But I got the job, so let me do the job. <laughs> uh, and so th- these guys, these women and men, these homeowners, they're going to they're gonna challenge you with all of this information that they've garnered. So give them an opportunity to explain it. Seems like you got a vision on exactly what the processes are from soup to nuts, when we order the part up until the time that we install it, would you be against walking me through what your vision is of that? Now, they may or may not be able to come up with anything, but the fact that you gave them a chance to explain first is huge because what you're going to do after they've completed their response to that is you're going to say to them, would it be a bad idea if I walked you through reality of the situation and now with a no oriented question you've asked for permission to lay it out you guys know that you're not gouging people you guys know that you're not trying to get over on people you guys know that the man hours that you estimate is going to take a job to do is not done so you can you know fleece your customers because in the short term that might work out for you in the long term that's bad for business and so you're going to defer to them, allow them to explain first, and then ask them permission. Would you be against me walking you through what the realities of the situation are? Now they're going to say absolutely no, and then you're going to lay it out for them. Remember what I said earlier. If you're explaining too early, you're losing. At some point, you're going to have to explain. Right. You can only Just, ask so many questions. Right. Just sequence the questions so that you put them first in almost every regard during the conversation. Man, that, that's, that's some good stuff. Now, Derek, I, I want to ask you, I'm sure you've, you've unfortunately come across a situation where um, the perpetrator begins behaving badly, uh, and not just the initial taking of a hostage, but actually doing or escalating the situation, making it more personal, you might say. How do you stay curious when things start getting more intense? You know, when you, when you walk up to the homeowner and they go from a five, cause they were pretty upset already to a 10 and you're, you're caught there like mouth open. 
how do you, how do you stay curious in that moment? Or is there some other tactic that you can use to like deflect a little bit? If they go from, from there five, when you, when you get there and after you get there, you've gone to a 10, you've changed the dynamic. What have you done? <laughs> you, you, you gotta, you, you gotta figure that out. If they go for, if they were at five, when they called you, you get there. And now as, through the course of the initial conversation, they go from five to 10. It's something about you. Mm. You got to face it head on. The first thing is the easiest thing. Let them vent. Keep your mouth closed. Once the, the venting subsides and, and, and here's something that's going to blow your mind. Make sure you guys are listening. You may want to take notes on this. On it. Apologize. How crazy is that? No, don't underestimate the power or the currency of an apology. I'm what sorry. Are, what are we apologizing for? And what if it's not? You got to figure it out. You don't know. You, you don't know. You got to figure it out. So the first word out of your mouth, I'm sorry. It's clear that I just did something, said something to offend you. They want acknowledgement from that. Now, you may get blasted with another barrel as soon as you say that. You're damn right you offended me. And then comes the information. Navigating the conversation is a guided discovery process. where We're looking for black swans. We're looking for motivation. And so you got the correction or you got the confirmation. Damn right you offended me because blah, 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 blah. Well, what are you doing in that moment? A, you're gathering information. B, you're allowing them to dump more of that emotional crap out of their bucket. When negative emotions are high, rational thinking is low. You cannot get them to the point where you can start to direct their decision-making process until you effectively dealt with the negative emotions and dynamics as they see it. And so just hold on, hold on, let it subside, apologize. Sounds like I've done something, said something to offend you. Let's dig that out because rest assured, as I mentioned earlier, the attack is irrelevant. Reason behind the attack is where your focus should be. Are they trying to manipulate me? Are they under tremendous pressure on their side? You know, is their husband or wife yelling at them because they screwed up getting you guys into the house to get the the AC turned back on? Or have they been trying to convey something else to you that you're completely missing? That's the mindset. So good, Derek. So good. This has been incredible information. I really appreciate you sharing it with us. We're going to try to start bringing things in for a landing here. And one of the things I want to refocus us on is the, the uh, ego authority failure concept. So as, as all of us are going to be prone to realizing if we're introspective enough, we can look back over our lives and we can see times where we have failed but we may not always be able to identify the reasons for that failure specific to a client interaction, or maybe it was a coworker or maybe something went off with your boss, or maybe you, maybe you were the boss and you yelled at a, uh, a direct report or something like that. And things went sideways. 
how can we recognize that it was our own egos or our own misguided authority that caused the failure? Like where, where do we start looking into the mirror and spotting the deficiencies? Um, that's a, that's, that's a great question. Intuitively, uh, and this is, this may sound like a cop out for an answer. Intuitively, you're going to pick it up. You're going to pick up signals from your direct report. You're going to pick up signals from your coworker or the customer. Um, that indicates that you may have run a little roughshod over them. You're going to pick up signals from the other side. You're going to know in no uncertain terms when you ask somebody to do something, whether or not they're doing it willingly or whether or not they're doing it because you said so. And so it would be beneficial if in every difficult conversation, you hot wash it with yourself and then hot wash it with a confidant, somebody that you trust. This is, this is not dissimilar to what we did back in the world of, of hostage negotiations. You know, at the end of every event, there was a big overall incident command hot wash and then SWAT team would go to their corner of the room, negotiators would go to their corner of the room, and then we would hot wash it individually. Sorry, because, could, uh, could you pause there? I'm not familiar. What do you mean hot wash? Could you define that? A debrief. Uh, just a debrief of what you did right, what you did wrong. What could you have improved on? Ah, because okay. you're going to make mistakes. As a hostage negotiator, we make mistakes. As a leader, you're going to make mistakes. As a tech, you're going to make mistakes in your interaction with your um, with your customers. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. If you were a part of my team, I wouldn't expect you to be perfect. I would expect you to every time that you go out, every time that you engage somebody else, the mistakes that you make are brand new ones, that you're not repeating old mistakes. And the best way to ensure that that doesn't happen is to be candid in those debriefs and those hot washes to point out the deficiencies, call a spade a spade, and then shake the dew off the lily because life goes on and make sure that the next mistake that you make when you go out is something brand new, something unanticipated. So I, I think, you know, Derek, as I, as I contemplate that, you know, that could be easier if somebody else was present or maybe, you know, everybody kind of gets to hear what happened, you know, in, in a coworker situation or direct report or a ball situation, there's a number of stories that can be told and we can kind of debrief it. But when you're in the home, you get one shot at it and nobody gets to follow up with the client really and ask like, Hey, you know, why didn't you buy today from Brian or you know, hey, uh, why, why were, why did you get so upset after Nate served you? Like, we don't, I don't know how we could facilitate those conversations. So the technician is left by basically just reflecting upon his own experience in the home, which you might have some blind spots. So, is there any way that we can draw that out? Yeah, you, you, you could, um, you could have blind spots. In fact, you're probably going to have blind spots. But at the end of the day, you got to play the card in, in the hand that's dealt you, and. If, if nobody else is present during the conversation, then yes, the conversation is going to be with yourself. Will that mean blind spots? Yeah. Will that mean that you possibly could make the same mistake again? Yes. But the, the bottom line is, if you are focused on constant improvement, those conversations with yourself 
are not without benefit. Now, if somebody else is in the room with you, of course, then they observe what's going on and they'll have a lot more input. But at the end of the day, um, you, you, you got what you, what you got. But if we go back to where, what I was talking about earlier, right? And we start to talk about being curious and accepting the fact that you're going to get attacked during the conversation. The more you do that, the less you're going to fall into a trap when you're engaged um, with the customer. Now, the example specifically that you um, that you gave me was, um, you know, why why didn't you get the sale? And that has got to be something that they're focused on in the moment. Not the fact that they said no, but why they said no. What are they saying to you with that no? I mean, it's, it's situational for sure, but I guess that's you're, you're suggesting that's the question to ask, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't ask it um, directly, but what, anybody anywhere on the planet would do anything for you if they trusted you. If, it, if they trusted you and it was within their capability, they would do it for you. And so you got to figure out why in the moment, why is there this level of mistrust? What have I done to, dam to damage the trust between me and this potential client? Starts with tactical empathy. Staying curious. Well, Derek, this has been excellent information. I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I think there's a lot of uh, really good applications for these concepts in the home services industry because we are often dealing with, like I said at the beginning of the show, dynamic situations that are often involving a lot of high pressure, high intensity and emotions. And I think the resounding concept, what I've heard from you today is, is stay neutral, stay out of it, ask a lot of questions, stay curious and you'll be farther ahead than if you try to walk in there with a whole lot of bravado beating your chest and say, well, hey, you know, you don't know anything like and explaining your way into a corner. Exactly right. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Explaining your way into a corner because the environment that you guys are working in, most customers are already looking down their nose at you because you are, as for all intents and purposes, from their perspective, you are manual labor. If you were smart enough to get a job outside of manual labor, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. So they're, they, they're looking at you through that prism. So they're coming at you from a position of superiority and contempt and disdain to begin with. And it's not just you. They look at everybody like that. And so your folks should be asking themselves, what do I need to do to be an outlier, to be that one-off? Because... I don't want to be. I don't. I don't want to look the same as, as Acme HVAC company. I want. I don't want to look like the guys at One Two Three Plumbing. I want to look like whoever it is that I represent. What's the fastest way for me to do that? Lend an empathetic ear. Demonstrate for them that you understand their perspective. I guarantee you. You you listen, and you demonstrate for them a little bit of tactical empathy. That's going to separate you from the pack immediately. Not only as HVAC plumbing 
electricians, whatever, but also as human beings. The stuff that I'm talking about with you guys today takes work, which is why most people won't do it, which puts you in a better position because if you're willing to do it, you're automatically becoming more interesting to other people. They automatically feel like they owe you. And then you kick in that, that rule of reciprocity and your life becomes easier. Their relationship with you becomes easier and you start to, um, you start to get more customers because again, you guys are, your, your reputation is going to precede you whether you're good or bad. They're going to know people are going to hear And so you want them to talk about how well the people that work with you are able to demonstrate that they understand what the lay of the land looks like from the customer's or the client's perspective. Not sure there's a better place than to leave it right there, Derek. That's, that's good words to close on. Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we let you go, I did want to give you the opportunity. If people are interested in learning more about you, Derek, I know you host a podcast. Obviously, you have the book. There are other ways of uh, people getting a hold of you or getting in touch with the Black Swan Group. Or what's your podcast name? How often do you release episodes? How can people hear more of you? I I, I haven't really started the podcast because I'm too busy being a guest on other people's podcasts. So that's got my, <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> that's enough. got my calendar. But um, info at blackswanltd.com. That's our that's our our general mailbox. Blackswanltd.com is the website ego authority failure is on uh, is, is on Amazon. So there's an electronic copy, Kindle uh, and copy, and Audible. Uh, That's where I listened. <laughs> yeah, 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 Audible. Um, but uh, I can be reached via LinkedIn. I don't check that honestly as much as I should, but um, you can reach me through the info at blackswanltd.com or or LinkedIn. Well, we've really appreciated having you on today, Derek. It's been a pleasure. I think there's so much more uh, to the content than even we discussed today, but uh, this was a really great bite-sized chunk of some really deep concepts that can have great impact in the home services industry. We appreciate the service that you have given in your former career, and we also appreciate the ones that you're giving in your current one. So thanks so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure, Derek, to have you on and have a conversation with you, and we look forward to hopefully revisiting in the future. Yeah, Brian, Nate, look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Man, that was an awesome podcast. And every time we have somebody on from the Black Swan Group, it just kind of like blows my mind. And I I so appreciate the depth of their content and how it is naturally applicable to what we do in the home services industry. I hope you found it challenging as well. Make sure that you check out Derek's book. That is Ego Authority Failure. Um, And there's, of course, a subtitle on that. But that's a, a great place to start as well as listening to this podcast a couple times over to hear some of those things. I know all of you get into situations where you're dealing with a homeowner or somebody who's upset and they're frustrated. And a lot of times it's not even with you, but you can be the standout person in the industry. You can be the standout professional in their home. The one that is listening, the one that is curious, the one that is asking questions and, and asking more questions and asking more questions before you ever get to your explanation. And Derek gave a lot of really good practical examples and, uh, you know, a couple of those nuggets of like how to go about doing those things in a way that is consistent and will provide consistent results. So 
Really great podcast today. I hope you found it beneficial. We always want to be bringing you great content. So if you have good suggestions on topics or speakers or any of that sort of thing, hit us up, let us know. We'd love to know what would be a passion for you and how we could benefit you in the trades. And of course, we're always looking to challenge you. And we want to remind you that it is your opportunity to make yourself grow. It is your opportunity to become the standout person in your company, in your industry, in your neighborhood, in your neck of the woods, wherever it is, that's yours. And it's yours to own and it's yours to take advantage of. Are you going to do that this week? We hope that you are. And we hope that you choose to do that every week as well as wake up every morning and waste no day.